Let me read to you from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Last week we covered the first two points in this verse. Remember, these are the things that the early Christians were giving attention to. They were adhering to these things. They were persevering in these things. First, the apostles' teaching. And for you and me today, that would be simply the Word of God. We need to give attention to the Word of God more than just on Sunday morning. Rather, every day of the week, we should be opening this book and seeing what God has to say to us. Secondly, the early Christians were devoting themselves to fellowship. And I mentioned to you last week, this is two fellas in the same ship. It's Christians who are spending time with one another. And that should be happening more than just here on Sunday morning. Connecting with one another here is good. And yet, as you know, there's not a lot of time given in the service for you to connect with each other by talking to one another and shaking hands. We just had a handshake time that lasts about two minutes, and, and that's, that's it. Uh, and so we need more than just the, what happens here in the 9 o'clock hour or, or later in the 11 o'clock hour. We need to make some time for one another to be involved in one another's life. I know there are some who, after Sunday school, they stay for Sunday school, and then, then after Sunday school, they stay around and they talk with one another. After the second service, they, there are some that are not so quick to just run out the door. Rather, they're willing to stay around and they talk with one another. That's a good thing. Something else that I would encourage you to try and do, and this has worked pretty good for Cindy and I, oftentimes when we're done here on a Sunday morning, we try and find somebody that we can eat lunch with. And that's always a good time for fellowship. We enjoy good food together. We enjoy conversation with one another. This is a time that we can get to know one another, and we need that. We need time with one another to build friendships, to give encouragement to one another, to give support to one another. This helps everybody. We need each other. I mentioned to you last week that, that we are not to try and be the Lone Ranger in our Christianity. And I had two people come up to me after the sermon and say, hey, you know, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. <laughs> and that's right. The Lone Ranger realized that, that he, he didn't need to try and do life by himself. He needed a friend, and so do we. We need each other. And there's all kinds of ways that you can connect with people. Uh, going to ball games together or sitting with each other at the ball game can be a good time for fellowship. Here a couple of, of Friday nights ago at, at the halftime, I found Jason Reed and I sat with him that second half during the basketball game and we just talked with one another throughout that game. I enjoyed that. It was good fellowship for both of us. Going hunting together. 
Going fishing together, going shopping together, working on a project together. It was probably a year or so ago that, that Paul and Kara Martin were remodeling the bathroom in their home. And Paul had been saying something about that here in the office. And, and I asked him one day, hey, can I come by and help you? Well, he, he wasn't going to deny that. And, and so I, I came by on a, on a uh, Saturday afternoon, I think it was, and we worked together side by side. Do you know what we did as we worked in that bathroom side by side? We talked. We talked. And we laughed and we enjoyed sweet fellowship together. I, I was encouraged over that time. I think he was too. When we are together with God's people... Good things happen. I mean, invite somebody to go to coffee with you. Invite somebody into your home for chili. Uh, invite somebody tonight to watch the, the Super Bowl with you. I remember a few years ago, I was in St. Louis for a missions meeting during the World Series time, and it, it happened to be one of those years that the Cardinals were in the World Series, and uh, we had eaten, I think it was probably, a, a, maybe it was a, a, a midweek like maybe a Monday night, I think we had eaten together as a missions board and, and we were finished up for the evening and, and the game was getting ready to start. One of the other guys on the board uh, was also a baseball fan and he said, hey, you want to go watch the game with me? I said, well, sure, that sounds great. So he was driving, I jumped in the car with him and uh, we ended up <laughs> at a sports bar. And... Uh, and it was our intention to go in there and find a table and sit at that table and watch the game. And uh, I mean, it was incredible. This screen was like 12 feet high uh, and 12 feet wide. It was an incredible view of the game. The only problem was all the tables were filled. And nobody was moving. Everybody was there with the same reason that we were there. They were there to watch the game. And so no tables were opening up. And my friend and I ended up there at the bar. And we're drinking our Dr. Peppers at the bar. And uh, we're going along. And I noticed these two girls right next to me. And uh, they're talking with each other. And all of a sudden, some guy comes and he, he gets right in between those two girls. And the girl right next to me doesn't like it a bit. And she tells him so. And he didn't like what she had to say to him. And he turns around and I mean he is right in her face. And they are lipping at one another. And they are going at it toe to toe doing this, and she turns to me, and she wants me to back her up. <laughs> to give her support. And all of a sudden, I was like Schultz on Hogan's Heroes. I know nothing. <laughs> I see nothing. <laughs> and I turned to my friend, I said, maybe it's time we get out of here. <laughs> but fellowship with one another is good. We need each other. And the, the early Christians knew the importance 
of being together. And it, it was this fellowship, it was more than just being together. There was a relationship that was being built and, and they were for one another and they would give support to one another and when there was a need, they were there to meet the need. That's, that's true fellowship. And that brings us to where we're at today. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. That's the third point there in verse 42. Most of the commentaries that I looked at agreed with each other that this is in reference to the Lord's Supper. The early Christians were giving steadfast attention to the Lord's Supper. They partook of it often. A common question that is asked of me, maybe this question is asked of you too, or maybe you've asked this question. Why does your church partake of the Lord's Supper every week? And the answer to that is simple. We believe that the early church partook of the Lord's Supper every week. Acts chapter 20, verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them. The breaking of bread here is in reference to communion. And it seems for me that the early church did this every first day of the week. They came together... And they partook of the Lord's Supper together, and there was preaching. If it was a good practice for them to partake of the Lord's Supper every week, then surely it could be a good practice for us too. Now, I do admit to you there is no clear-cut command about this. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11.26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So it does not say every Sunday you should, should do this, that you should partake of the Lord's Supper. It simply says as often as you do, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. But again, it just seems to be a good practice for us to partake of the Lord's Supper every week because those early Christians did the same thing. They partook of the Lord's Supper together every time they met together. And doesn't it make sense that they would want to remember the Lord's death? I mean, this is the cornerstone of what we believe. The fact that He died on the cross and, and he, uh, he did that for our sins. He raised from the dead on the third day. We should want to remember that every time that we are together. Where would we be without that? Without His dying, without His sacrifice for our sins, we would be hopeless. We would be lost in our sin and in our despair. And so, we remember that every time we are together. I was noticing in my office this week as I was sitting there preparing my message, uh, I, I began to look around my office and I saw one picture after another of those people that I love. Those people that are dear to my heart. And those pictures help me to remember those people. 
I have pictures of my wife Cindy. I have pictures of all three of my kids. I have pictures of that dear granddaughter Kinsey. I have pictures of my mom on my desk and, and a picture of my dad. I have a picture of my brother and sister. And, and these pictures help me to remember them. And these pictures, they are at different stages, particularly of my kids, different stages of their life. I have some, some pictures of them when they were young. I have some pictures of them at their graduation pictures are still there in my office. I have pictures of each of them now as they have been married. I, these pictures help me to remember them. I have a picture of Cindy as she's holding that newborn granddaughter in her arms and she has a smile from ear to ear. Have a picture of my dad and Jonathan and I as we were at a at a Cardinal baseball game just uh, months before he passed away. I have a picture of my daughter Abby cutting my hair. She she was uh, taking classes at the time at the cosmetology school here in Fort Scott, and and I was her first haircut. And the teacher came along and she was probably saying something like this, there's not much hair there for you to cut, Abby. (laughs) But I got pictures of that. These pictures help me to remember. And you know, the Lord knew that we were a forgetful people. And so He instituted a memorial to help us remember. We're into memorials, aren't we? If you, have, if you go to Washington, D.C., there are all kinds of memorials there for you to see. They help us to remember. If you've ever been to Pearl Harbor there in Hawaii, you have surely been moved by that memorial that is established there. It helps us to remember. New York City, ground zero. I want to go there someday and and visit that memorial. That memorial will help us always remember what happened on 9-11. We need memorials. And the Lord knew that. And so He has given to us a memorial that we have just partaken of a few minutes ago, it's to help us remember His Son's sacrifice. He didn't want us to forget that. Jesus said to His disciples as He broke the bread, this is My body, which is for you. Do this in what? In remembrance of Me. In the same way, He took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. We are to be careful not to be flippant about our partaking of the Lord's Supper. It's a time to remember His blood and His body that was given in our behalf. And someone might be sure to say this, well, to partake every week is to lose the meaning. It becomes old hat if we do it every week. Well, it doesn't have to. It it doesn't have to become old hat. In fact, we need to guard against 
that happening. We need to be mindful of what He has done for us. And we need to be thanking Him. We need to be rededicating ourselves to Him. As we partake of the bread and the cup, we should be rededicating ourselves to Him, confessing our sins to Him, and asking Him to forgive us. That's what should be going on during the communion time in our heart between us and Him. It's a time of renewal. It's a time of remembrance. It's a time of repentance. It is a time of worship and gratitude. The early Christians continually devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And so should we today. Let me give it to you the fourth point there in verse 42. They continually devoted themselves to prayer. And this is one of those themes that runs through the book of Acts. In fact, there are several themes that run through the book of Acts. As you read it, you'll easily pick up on those themes. There is the theme of the resurrection. Every sermon that is preached, the resurrection is the center point of that sermon. There is the theme of salvation. Throughout the book, this thread of salvation is seen. You can see what people are doing to give their life to Jesus Christ. And so, pay attention to that particular theme. There is also this theme of prayer that runs through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, the disciples had gathered together in prayer. Acts 2, the early Christians are devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 3, Peter and John, they're going to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. Acts 4, the early church is praying together and the Holy Spirit comes and the whole place in which they are gathered is shaken and they are filled with the Spirit and they are preaching the Word of God with boldness. And that's just the first four chapters. You you can see this theme run through the whole book. The early church was persevering in prayer. They were being steadfastly attentive to prayer. I dare say, we need to be more attentive to prayer too. I wonder what chains could be broken. I wonder what souls could be rescued, what marriages could be saved. I wonder what miracles and healings could take place if we as a church became more continually devoted to prayer. You know, it's one thing to have one person praying, but to have a whole body of believers praying together, that's a whole different ballgame. Could I pick on somebody today? I, I, I've talked to Chuck earlier, and he knows this is coming, but Chuck, Chuck Schlichting, he's, he's a big guy. He's a strong guy. And I think he's probably got a pretty loud voice. And so I'm going to ask Chuck, on the count of three, if you would, to shout amen as loud as as you can. And you that are around him might want to go like this because he's going to be loud. Okay? Help me count on three. One, two, three. Amen! 
Amen. He is loud. <laughs> and you know what? One voice matters to God. When one voice cries out to God, He hears it. But what, what about when hundreds of voices cry out to God together? On the count of three, I want every one of us together to shout amen, okay? Get ready. I, I mean, I really want you to shout, okay? None of this, amen. I want you to shout. One, two, three. Amen! Wow. Wow. Do you, do, you, do you get it? Do you get the point? One voice matters to God. He hears it. But when hundreds of voices come together in unison and they are crying out to God for the same thing, don't you think that it must surely move Him? That it must surely move His heart? When His children together in unison are crying out to Him? My mom, for the last few months, have been, she's been having a time with her health. She's, she's had one wave of hives after another. And I tell you what, it is just taking its toll on her every time that this wave of hives hits her. It's almost more than what she can stand. And I've had her on our prayer chain a couple of different times. And uh, you, many of you, have prayed for her about that. And I've appreciated you praying for her about two weeks ago. She had another wave of hives hit her, and she was really bombarded with them. And I was thinking, you know, I hate to keep asking people to pray for, for this. And so I hesitated. I didn't put it on the prayer chain. And uh, I should have, but I didn't. And I, she was just suffering from these hives, and I had thought, you know, I'm praying for her. I know she's praying for her. I know my brother and sister are praying for her. And, and it, she just was not getting over the hump, and it came to a point, I said, I think I'm going to put this on the prayer chain and have more people join in in prayer with us for her. And I did. I asked the secretary to put that on the prayer chain that afternoon. And do you know, I'm not kidding, by the next day, she was dramatically better. You know, I wanted to kick myself for not putting her on there earlier. And I'm not saying that she is completely healed of this, because that was two weeks ago, and she's had several more incidents since. But it, it was a reminder to me at that moment that one voice does matter, but when hundreds of God's children come together and cry out to Him in unison, that the, the heart of God is moved by that. The prayers of God's righteous people has great effects. 
Tony Campolo, an old gospel preacher and college professor, tells the story about a time that he was invited to preach at this college outside of Philadelphia. And he loved to preach at this college. It was a Pentecostal-based college. He said before he preached, every time he went there, before he preached, the faculty members would take him into this back room and they would get him, have him get on his knees and they would put their hands on him and they would pray over him. And he said this one particular time that he was there to preach, this was happening. And he said, these people, they really do know how to pray. But there was one problem, he said. They would pray for so long that they, they would get tired and they would start leaning on him. And he said, have you ever had 12 guys lean on you all at once? And he said another bad thing at this particular time, there was one guy who wasn't even praying for him. One of the professors was praying for some guy named Charlie Stoltzfitch. Lord, Lord, you know Charlie Stoltzfitch. You know Charlie Stoltzfitch. And Campolo's, he's feeling this weight on his shoulders. He's on his knees. He's getting tired and he's thinking, yes, yes, buddy. God knows everybody. Come on. Finish your prayer and let me up from here. But this guy, he just kept on praying. Lord, Lord, you know who Charlie Stoltzfitch is. He lives down the road about a mile, right-hand side, silver trailer. And by this time... Campolo is getting frustrated. He's thinking, come on, buddy. This is God you're talking to. He doesn't need you to tell him where Charlie Stoltzfitch lives. He knows already. Finish your prayer and let me up from here. But he kept on praying. Lord, down the road, about a mile, silver trailer on the right side. Lord, you need to send somebody today to talk to Charlie Stoltzfitz because today, Charlie Stoltzfitz has left his wife and his three children. Lord, send somebody today to talk to him and bring him back to his wife and his children. You know who I'm talking about, Lord. And Campolo is down below and he's saying, yeah, Charlie Stoltzfitz, down the road, a mile, On the right-hand side, silver trailer. (laughs) Finally, the guy quit praying. Campolo got up, he went out, he preached a sermon at the college. It went great. He got in his car to go home. He was on the interstate that goes around Philadelphia. And on the side of the road, there was a fellow who was hitchhiking. And Campolo, he's an extroverted extroverted kind of guy and so he he decides to stop and pick up the hitchhiker and the guy gets in the car and Campolo says hey my name's Tony Campolo the guy says hey thanks for picking me up my name's Charlie Stoltzfitch (laughs) true story and Campolo he never lets on like he's heard this guy's name before he drives to the next exit And he gets off the highway, goes up, stops, turns left, he crosses the the overpass, and he takes off down the next exit ramp going the opposite direction. By this time, Charlie Stoltzfitz is going, hey, hey, what are you doing? He's he's getting kind of nervous and frantic. Why are you going in this other direction? And uh, Campolo says, because I'm taking you home. And Charlie says, why are you doing that? 
Because you've left your wife and three kids today, Campolo said. And this guy's eyes get really big, and he's, he's like, he's shocked. He can't believe what's going on. And Campolo, he drives back past the church, about a mile, right-hand side, silver trailer, and he pulls in the driveway, and Charlie Stoltzfus says, how did you know where I live? And Campolo says, God told me. (laughs) And he takes Charlie Stoltzfitch into his house, into his trailer house, and he sits him down with his wife, and he talks with them for two and a half hours about how Jesus is the only way that their marriage can be saved. And he's the only way for them to be saved. And he is the salvation of their family. Charlie Stoltzfitch and his wife became Christians. And he's now a preacher in Southern California. (laughs) Thank God answers prayer. God answers prayer. And I'm just wondering what God might do among us if we would really devote ourselves continually to prayer. Will you? I mean, several Sundays and over the course of this new year, I have been asking you this question. Will you? Will you devote yourself more continually to Him in prayer? I pray so. Let's let's go to Him in prayer. I thank you, God, for these early Christians. Thank you for what they were devoting themselves to. And Lord, it's not just for them, it's for us here. So as we have looked uh, these last couple of weeks at these four pillars of the early church, what they were giving themselves to, the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Would you call us through the Holy Spirit and through your word to be devoted to these things? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.